Welcome to another episode of Ask Canadian Six. My name is Jaspreet Gora. I'm joined by my co-host, Harman Singh. Harman, how are you doing? How is your Heritage Month going? Well, we're wrapping up Heritage Month. So this is going to go out to folks in May. So I guess the question is, how was your Heritage Month? Uh, Dr. Saab, I think Heritage Month, um, it was an exciting time. Got to go spend spend some time down in Calgary for for one of the events happening here in Alberta, uh, but uh, you know as it comes to a close, I think reflecting on you know just what it means and in, in, and especially in in the context of Canada um, has been really interesting and seeing some really cool events happen across Canada. So we have a packed episode for you today. We are going to talk about Vasaki and Nagarkeetans. We're going to talk about Sikh Heritage Month more in depth. We are going to celebrate finally having some of our brothers and sisters and their kids from Afghanistan, the Sikhs arriving. We're going to talk about a big win in workplace accommodations for Sikhs in Canada. And then we're going to pay tribute to a friend of WSO who passed away. So stay tuned and we'll be back. Nagarkitans and Vasaki. So we have been on pause for a couple years because of COVID and slowly our lives are creeping back up and different folks are doing different things. Um, did you have a Nagarkitan or did you celebrate Vasaki in any big public Sangat way this year? So in Alberta, we're, um, our Nagarkitans are upcoming. Usually what we always do is um, we have Nagarkitans kind of later in May, just given the weather in Alberta. So May 14th, we've got Calgary Nagarkitan coming up. The following weekend, Edmonton will be having Nagarkitan. But for us in our household, we always love to celebrate Vasaki. We do um, something unique to, I guess, us maybe, and I don't know how other people celebrate, but we like to do Vasaki Family Fun Day. Um, we actually do uh, like a Vasaki-themed treasure hunt in the house uh, with the kids, and they always seem to love it. Um, so it's a chance for us to kind of talk about the significance of Vasaki, um, but also add an element of uh, celebration for the kids. That sounds incredible. That sounds like you put a lot of work into it. We did a virtual Vasaki Kitan, so um, just tuning in with family and, and doing some Kitan online. I know some folks are ready to be in person and some people are still comfortable online. That was nice. Um, and then Toronto Nagakitan came back, but not with its full force. So what we usually do here is start at the Better Living Center and then we walk um, quite a ways through Toronto uh, and then end up in Nathan Phillips Square. So if you are listening and you are not a Toronto person, this is like cost Toronto. If you've ever seen the big Toronto sign, that's Nathan Phillips Square. That's right in front of City Hall. Um, that's where we end the Nugget then in a in a non typical non COVID year. I think the whole procession is incredible. The level of organization is just stellar and incredible. And I'm always in awe of what it takes to feed that many people and have people clean up at the end. There's there's like a complete group of sevadas doing cleanup. The amount of seva that goes into the logistics, like there's bathrooms, there's there's safety, and there's um, the amount of seva that families do for feeding people. Uh, there is every type of food you can think of. And all of that, uh, the way that they adjusted this year was to say that they weren't going to do 
the walking part, they just did the end part. So in Nathan Phillips Square in downtown Toronto in front of City Hall, where we usually end the Nagakitan, they did Maraj Prakash. And it's quite a it's it's quite a moving moment for a few reasons. I always think that like the idea of a nugget, like this is our area and this is where we're gonna be loud and proud and this is where we're gonna literally take our guru through the nugget and and do all of this. Um to say that like downtown Toronto, Nathan Phillips Square is like our nugget, I've always moved by that. Like just just the um audacity of immigrants to show up and, and say like yep this is um this is this is us and also that nathan phillips square um that's where wso is a part of the helping with the spirit garden and so in a couple years the park that's um gonna there's like a part like behind the snack shack where they're gonna build a monument to survivors of residential schools and it's just this us arriving on this land and being loud and proud of being on this land and then also being a part of the journey of truth and reconciliation on this land because we are settlers. I'm always like, I'm just moved by all of that. I think I cry every time I see the Panjbiare. I'd like, I just, there's so much iconography and just visual and like, for me, it's, it's seeing Guru Gobind Singh Ji and like all of that. I, I move, but I'm like, when people are doing like jakare, I can usually get through one or two and then I'm crying. Um, and I just so in awe of the seva. So I went and I um, like food every time. There was cotton candy. There was jalebian. There was fries. There was uh, I had sog. Uh, the, my kid had curry jaw. The, my niece and nephew, they were in line and we were going to get roti. And the uncle saw them and they had like a stash of chips. And so they, it was like, oh, you're the kids. You're going to get chips. I saw my nephew eat co- fresh cotton candy for the first time, put his whole face into it. And then we were so excited. We're like, what do you think? This is cotton candy. And he said, and I quote, I don't know if I ate it <laughs> because it just like melted in his mouth. Um, yeah. So I think I got sunburnt, a little bit of like peeling skin because it was such a beautiful day and I was in the sun for so long. And I forgot how much I missed being around the Sangat in such a big, bold, proud capacity. And I, it's the kind of thing where you're like, okay, sure, it's COVID. We got to stay safe, shut everything down. And then when you get back to it, you're like, wow, I missed that. I really needed that. Um, yeah, it was just seeing the Gatka, listening to the Kirtan, having Maraj Prakash in the middle of Nathan Phillips Square. It was all really, really powerful. Month of April, we're wrapping up. And we have um, a couple of really important initiatives going on. Harman, I'll let you start. What did you folks do for Sikh Heritage Month? And what are you doing? So in Alberta, we just celebrated Sikh Heritage Month uh, a few days ago. The government of Alberta had done an event down in Calgary um, that was emceed by Minister Rajan Sani. Um, and it was it was an event that you know allowed us to share um, you know, some of the the, his, the great history of six in Alberta. You know, um, Alberta has a long history in the West Coast of six settlers, um, you know, and, and in particular, you know, in Calgary, Harnam Singh Hari, uh, who was one of the first Sikh residents uh, of the Calgary area, who ultimately, I mean, he, you know, he went from, you know, being a laborer to owning ultimately close to 5,000 acres of land. Um, phenomenally interesting story. Uh, and, and so, you know, 
at the Sikh Heritage Month event, um, WSO was really able to highlight some of the challenges that the Sikh community in Canada is facing right now, which includes, you know, obviously Bill 21 and the activism around that. Um, and the the government here in Alberta has acknowledged that while, you know, it, they wouldn't let Bill 21 or something similar happen in Alberta, that uh, hate and prejudice has no boundaries and, and borders, and that it, it was important to, you know, kind of put... Uh, an arrow across the bow, as you may, may will, in terms of indicating to the rest of Canada that Alberta will stand up for religious freedoms. So that was, you know, that that was a welcome statement from the government at that event. Um, and and alongside of that, you know, obviously in the community, there were some interesting and fun events, paint nights with local artist Ravina Tour, who does a phenomenal job, um, you know, in, in what she does, self-taught, but definitely very Sikhi-minded and Sikhi-oriented. Uh, so there was, there's a couple of very successful events that happened around that with her. Um, and, you know, I think, you know, for, for Albertans, it, it was, again, uh, you know, the Dishmesh Gordora in Calgary had partnered up and had a display at, at the atrium of City Hall that talked about the long history of Sikhs in Canada and in Alberta. Um, and so there also was the Sikh um, war exhibit down at the... Um, War Museum in Calgary. That was also a display that was put up. And, you know, at WSO, yeah, we, you know, I think um, we'll talk about it a bit more in, in our next segment, but having the panel discussion about the Afghan six was was a massive success. And obviously here in Alberta, we're all very familiar with the Manmit Singh Puller Foundation and the work that they did on that issue. And so um, I was very uh, pleased to be able to, to recognize the late Manmit Singh Puller for his contribution to you know, so much of um, the Sikh community here in Alberta. That's so beautiful. Yeah, the if uh, folks had a chance to catch it or if you didn't, WSO did a panel for Sikh Heritage Month on Sikhs from Afghanistan. It was live streamed on Facebook and I think you can still find it. Um, we're always at World Sikh Org <clears throat> on every social media platform. So one of the things that we had a lot of focus on this month was promoting our Sikh education guide. We wanted to excuse me, we wanted to make sure that that was something that we championed. So I had the opportunity to work with the York School Board here in Toronto, the Waterloo Region District School Board, PDSB went into my old high school or virtual event with Turner Fenton, did quite a few different things in the area of education, as well as, and again, if you follow us on social media, we shared bits and pieces of the education guide throughout the month. Uh, shout out to Gerpa, who does incredible work with all of the images, and I handed it to her and she turned it into something really beautiful. The education guide is, the best way I can explain it is WSO responds, we react, we're very reactive to a lot of bad things that happen in schools. People um, misgendering gores because they wear the stars. Principal says, you can't wear your on to gym. Someone trying, tried to put meat in my food as a form of bullying. People don't know how to pronounce our names. I can't wear my it The list goes on and on and on. And we get called in at the point where it's too late. The education guide is proactive. So it we are reaching out to school boards and saying, here's what we know. And here's what we're constantly responding to. And can you collaborate with us to make a better learning environment for all of our kids? And so we've had this chance to promote it all over um, over the month of Sikh Heritage Month and to go into different schools and do trainings with students and with teachers. 
it's really exciting. I'm really proud of it. The biggest thing that comes out of the education guide for me is we have, as six in Canada, we have the right, the protected right to exist as we want to. And that, like, WSO has done legal advocacy for that to the point of the Supreme Court. We're protected by the charter. We're protected by, <clears throat> in Ontario and every province, respectively, the Human Rights Code. And anything that is a sincerely held belief has to be accommodated. So we say this over and over again. So if I say, yeah, I want to wear my kara, you can't say to me, prove that that's your religion. Go get a letter from the Gordora. Go get a letter from WSO. You can't ask me that. If it's a sincerely held religious belief, that's all you need is for me to say, I truly believe this is my religion. And then legally, it has to be accommodated to the point of undue hardship. So we know this because we do the advocacy work. And my question has always been, how are the teachers supposed to know this? And no, it's just been left up in the air for them to figure it out. So as a teacher, you can say, you, you can't run around, no blades in the classroom. You can't run around with blades in my classroom. That's a great rule. That's a, I'm pretty much a fan of, yeah, don't run around the classroom with blades. You can't apply that to a kurban. If someone has a kurban in your classroom and they want to run around for gym class, you have to accommodate, you legally have to accommodate. And so nobody's teaching the teachers that. Um, and it's kind of, even though it's the law, it's kind of left up there. And that's where we get all these mistakes. So the education closes, a guide closes that gap, We're trying to get it out there. We've taken responsibility for making sure that folks know that was one big thing that we did in Sikh Heritage Month. And the other thing is a connection, like a one degree removed connection to WSO. But I really was so moved by it. I want to make sure we mention it. The Sikh National Archives of Canada partnered with, um, we've had a longstanding partnership with World Sikh Organization and partnered with the Brampton Public Library and did a community scanning event. So they take, they're now digitizing all of these um, Sikh archives, Sikh Canadian archives, and they actually invited people in from the community to bring what you want and we will archive it. So like, I took my Babaji's old pictures. Uh, my husband took old protest uh, posters from 1984. It was a, we met someone there whose grandfather had a like a live account of his experience of Jalimala Bag. We had like original editions of different Sikh texts that were brought in. It was such a moving event. Um, just and just the whole experience of being out of the house and doing things in person and reconnecting with people was very powerful. A huge celebration this past month, the World Sick Organization, after years of advocacy, welcomed a group of 98 refugees to Kelowna, Vancouver, and Calgary. Um, this was in collaboration with the Manmeet Buller Foundation, and this is after seven years of lobbying and trying to bring them here. There are still so many Sikhs and Hindus families and people we know that are left behind that we still need help getting here. But after seven years, we were able to get this group of about 98 folks here. Um, Harman, what do you, what did, when you saw that, when you heard that, what, what did you think? 
you know, I, we obviously are very excited to welcome um, those Afghan Sikhs and Hindus. I had the pleasure of uh, a few weeks ago being in Kelowna uh, and visiting the Gurukar there and, and seeing some of the and meeting some of the Afghan Sikhs and Hindus um, who've now kind of, you know, joined the Sangat. And it was really, really exciting um, to be there uh, amongst the Sangat that has privately sponsored uh, um, these refugees to come to Canada. And I think... You know, we can't thank the Sangat enough for supporting the advocacy, supporting these refugees, being the ones to put up, you know, personal guarantees of, of significant funds and resources to support these refugees. I think we always need to make sure we, we point out the distinction between you know, refugees who are coming uh, as government sponsored or as privately sponsored. None of this would be possible without, you know, the Sangat stepping up. And to see, you know, the, the Afghan Sikhs and Hindu refugees now, you know, as, as members of the Sangat here in Kelowna or across Canada is, is really heartwarming. Um, and, it, and it's exciting, but it reminds us, you know, you see their little kids running around and your your heart just goes out to those who are still uh, either stuck in Afghanistan or still waiting in, in India for, for relocation. Um, you know, this is, this is work, you know, having to... to Go see the Afghan Sikhs and Hindus in person. I mean, you really start to understand some of the suffering that they had to face for all of those years. You know, they're finally trying to return to some normalcy, but to have uh, the support of Sangat, I think, is really important. So that was that was special, and I think there's a recognized and acknowledged double standard when it came to how this country deals with refugees. We've talked about it in our past episodes. Um, you know, I th- we, we all want to see a easier path for refugees fleeing any type of persecution to be able to come to Canada. I think we all commonly share those values. And, and, you know, if you look at polling on Canadians, you know, now after the context of Ukraine, you know, perhaps there is a change in in the way that um, people are going to look at refugees, but there definitely is a significant double standard and it's a double standard that gets perpetuated by our own government, which is the problematic piece uh, from my perspective. So I think, you know, we are here again asking the government to create a program similar to what they've already been able to do, which they told us wasn't possible, um, in order to expedite the remaining um, Afghans to be able to reach Canada. I, I agree completely. I think <clears throat> seven years of advocacy for something that the Sangat was putting up the money, the logistics, all of the legal stuff was handled for just pay- for just pushing paperwork for seven years for 98 people, it's too long. And we've, we've already seen that we've uh, had refugees from Ukraine are already being accommodated. And that's incredible. That's such a good thing. It's really difficult to see that as a double standard. So the incredible work we're doing for folks in Ukraine, the ask is, can, can we make that happen? When the Sikh community is picking up all of the logistical burden, all of the financial burden, all of the legal burden, can we make it happen faster? So just as we celebrate this big win 
I do want to make sure folks understand because Sikhs um, from Afghanistan has become like a standing item. When I talk about the work that WSO does, it's just we do workplace accommodations. We do the Bill 21 challenge. We're working on the Sikhs in Afghanistan file. It's just become a standing bucket of work that we do. These folks that arrived are part of that seven year campaign that we supported with. And we still have about 200 people that we're still lobbying for. So this is still this is going to stay on our list and you're going to continue to hear us talk about it and again we're taking on everything as the community what we're asking for is just for that pathway to be created another big victory in the world of workplace accommodations um world sick organization was able to um have an accommodation for bearded Alberta corrections officers. And for so many reasons, this this falls into the Harmon category. We're talking legal stuff. We're talking Alberta stuff. I think you have a beard, so I'm going to give this to you for for bearded stuff too. <laughs> uh, as, a, as a person with a beard, how do you feel about this win? Well, I mean, you know, I, I don't know if I'm going to go work um, in corrections, but, you know, several, and this is, goes back to last year we were approached by some things who were either currently employed as correctional peace officers or they were looking to apply now on the application itself it is explicitly stated as a requirement of the job was that you had to be clean shaven and similarly, a policy was then circulating for those who were currently employed as peace officers that they needed to be clean shaven. And obviously, for you know, for obvious reasons, this 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 became you know problem for us, especially when we heard from some things who were being impacted by this. It was you know it was even more dire in terms of the impact that this was having on the individuals. Um, for those who were already working there you know, now having facing the prospect of potentially losing their jobs in a career that they were very happy to continue to serve, um, you know, in fact, really impacting in a negative way, their mental health. Um, this, this became something that that was a priority for us here in Alberta, that we we try to push for an accommodation. Now, correctional peace officers use respiratory protective equipment to prevent exposure to highly toxic substances. Uh, as we know, and, and given that we have expertise in this space, there is a way for those, um, you know, that personal protective equipment to accommodate those with beards. Uh, and so we reach out to the government and, and to explain that there is an accommodation possible. And it took us, uh, you know, a few months to work with government to be able to, you know, convince them that, number one, they they had a duty to accommodate but number two it wasn't actually going to impact them in any way they just needed to source this equipment and we could solve this issue and so you know a few weeks ago uh we were you know earlier in april we we're very excited to be able to announce that this accommodation and this uh this was now public um you know the government had procured the necessary equipment um you know and if anybody's listening is curious about you know what the specifics of that accommodation or in terms of the equipment you know please reach out to us i i hinted about this accommodation issue on the on the last podcast um you know we were slightly late we, you know it was a week later that we finally were able to announce 
uh, in conjunction with the government that this actually um, was was done. And you know, we are we are thankful to the government of Alberta, and in particular, the minister, the justice minister, and solicitor general Tyler Shandro for working with us. You know, I, I can say um, very, you know, very frankly that we did not receive any pushback uh, from the government when we reached out in terms of trying to identify an accommodation. They were willing to work with us and partner with us to actually look at what we put in front of them and then to actually source that. So now, um, immediately, the requirement to be clean shaven was taken down from any job postings. Um, officers uh who who have for whatever reason um you know they need to keep facial hair their the accommodation is available to them so it is now able you know regardless of your religion or medical requirement you're able to work so this is a policy that's going to benefit um not just sex but anybody who for a religious or medical reason um cannot be clean shaven so again i think this goes to the heart of our mandate as the world sick organization of canada um, in terms of, you know, working for, for the rights of everyone. And this is a policy that, you know, sadly, like, it, it actually was in place since 2016, uh, but obviously just came onto our radar uh, la- late last year. And, and we were very happy to be able to now have, you know, more equal and fair opportunities. And again, just another opportunity for us to work with government um, in terms of, you know, making sure they understood, you know, the sick identity and you know how we can navigate some of these issues and and again a lot of times it's not adding any significant burden to the government um so you know great great little um success story from alberta but something that you know we're always doing in the background across canada across jurisdictions these types of situations seem to pop up consistently and and when you look at the 20 year you know even just the last 20 years uh, of wso history we are constantly doing this type of casework and, you know, this is one that we can share with everyone. And a lot of times, you know, it, it's not possible. Um, but, you know, here we were able to jointly announce this with the government. That's the thing. Like there's, I think for every one successful workplace accommodation we have that we can share, there's one that we can't. Um, there's so much, and this is why it's so hard to quantify the work that WSO does. There's so many conversations we get into employers where they're embarrassed or they did something wrong or they don't want to know, and then we just can't publicly say that it happened. We have worked on accommodations in every level of government, in every type of profession, um, for for public and just um, for folks who are like, I mean, if you're riding via rail or you're on an airplane, that's all, those are all accommodations, even non-workplace accommodations focused on. I've seen these stories that are framed as uh, really moving immigrant stories. And I actually find them really difficult to read. So the we had a doctor who shaved during the pandemic so he could wear a mask. And that was framed as like a, wow, look at how great he is, even though it was his religion, his service to people was bigger than that. And there was recently a story about a firefighter who, a volunteer firefighter who took off his dasad and he was, um, you know, so that he could, he could do that work and serve his community. And those are put forward as like, look at how great these people are. They're willing to remove their religious, their articles of faith so they can do this work. When I hear those stories, having done the advocacy for accommodations, what I hear is a failure on the part of the employer 
not a success on the, that burden is not ours to bear on our body the duty to accommodate stands with the employer and you you accommodate to a point of undue hardship we rarely hit that point of undue hardship it's not that hard to accommodate people when we really like when we get into it it's like put a a, a sports band over your cara tuck in your carpon Get a papper instead of wearing the mask. Get like a different type of mask. Um, the accommodations are so doable and so easy. We shouldn't be reading these false victory stories that are being framed as victory stories of of six who like got rid of their sikhi so they could serve the world. That's not on us. That's that's on the. So if if you're listening and if these are these things are ever coming up. If what you're facing isn't something you've heard us talk about, it's possible we've worked on an accommodation like that. We're just not allowed to talk about it. So please always reach out if there's something going on in your workplace where you can't fully express your sakhi and you need help with that. We have the experience and we have the legal backing to make sure these things are not happening to six. And as we sign out for today, we want to take a moment to remember... A friend of WSO, David Kilgore, who recently passed away. And um, what do we know? What do we know about David Kilgore, and how did he support the Sikh community? So David Kilgore uh, was a human rights activist, an author, a lawyer. It was his time in politics that I'm going to focus on. And so David Kilgore spent 27 years in the House of Commons, um, either as a progressive conservative MP then as a Liberal MP, and also then as an Independent MP. Um, he is remembered, I think, by everyone as being somebody who was extremely vocal on human rights violations around the world. Um, he was He's known as, as a very principled um, MP. You know, even when he did switch parties, it was based on, you know, and I think everybody, and so he was an MP from here in Edmonton, in Edmonton Southeast, and Edmonton Mill Woods, essentially, which is the guard of six in Edmonton. But somebody who really understood the nuances of the struggle of six in Canada. I mean, you, you're not going to find uh, a lot of the details on his contribution for, to the community on his Wikipedia page, but we're going to focus on a couple of things. Number one, I, I think many of us are familiar with the book by Zuhair Kashmiri and Brian McAndrew, Soft Target. Uh, Soft Target is probably one of the, um, you know, a, a very interesting book. It details how the Indi how Indian intelligence penetrated Canada. Um, and, you know, going into the Air India case, uh, I, I would say that it's something that a lot of people should follow. And, and the foreword to that book was written by David Kilgore. I, I don't know if it was in the second edition um, or the first, but... One of the interesting things that David Kilgore says in that foreword is something that I think has always stayed with me, which is that he had received intelligence from somebody at, at CSIS and in some intel. And, and his line was essentially that all the roads of, of, of the Air India bombing lead to the Indian embassy. You know, and, and that's, a, that's significant from a you know, longtime Canadian MP to say. Uh, during the Air India inquiry itself, the inquiry denied 
uh, calling either Mr. Mr. Kashmiri or Mr. Kilgore as witnesses. And these are people who have critical information that went to the question of what went wrong in the investigation of Air India bombing and why that case remained unsolved. You know, and, and I think the WSO really tried to put pressure on the inquiry that you have people who clearly have something to share and firsthand knowledge, yet they were never called. And, and, and you know, I, I think we need to draw attention to that. But if you really want to understand his contribution to standing up for the six, you can find the text of his address at the WSO annual dinner. So every year the WSO does a dinner on Parliament Hill sponsored by, um, you know, different MPs every single year uh, wherein, you know, you have keynote speeches as it relates to, you know, issues and prominent issues of the community. And one of those years, um, just once in cholera, uh, was was the speaker. And one recent history, Ravi Singh uh, from Khalsa Aid uh, was a speaker. But when you read his address from 2002, we're talking about 20 years ago, um, even in that speech, David Kilgore openly states and talks about the issues that many of our own politicians today will not talk about. He talks about the disappearance of Jaswant Singh Kalra. He talks about that it was Indian police who was suspected and involved in his death. Um, you know, here, here's somebody, and, and he, he knew, he spoke out about who Jaswant Singh Kalra was, talked about how courageous he was. He talked about the treatment of six post uh, uh, September 11th, post 9-11, and some of the challenges that we had. You know, I, and, and the biggest thing was, he, he, you know, he was very intimately, un, uh, you know, understood the Multani case. In his own words, what David Kilgore had said, that the right to freedom of religion is enshrined in our, our charter and our human rights laws. But in practice, though, sometimes it takes a lot of work. And as in your case, legal battles and exemptions. But if we are to give this constitutionally protected right any meeting, your right to practice your faith can't be the exception. It must be the norm. I look at that from somebody who's a prominent MP. That was 20 years ago. And yet we still face the same struggles today. You know, he highlighted the problems we have with airlines. That was 20 years ago. We're still dealing with um, issues with CATSA and airports and making them understand who we are as a community. You know, I, I'm, a, I'm absolutely, you know, when I go and I read his understanding and I see him speaking out about the challenges that the community faced and, and him standing up for the community, you know, I look back to an era where I say, what are our current iteration of politicians afraid of? When 20 years ago, a politician in this country could so unapologetically stand up for our rights, um, what is stopping you today? You know, and it, it's, it's, there was, there's a quote from, um, you know, f- from him um, you know, about how many challenges do we have to mount. You know, he's, this is the line that really struck me from his address. It says, the problem is it's never over. There are always new regulations or policies to fight. Policies on hard hats and safety masks, laws on bike helmets, employment discrimination cases. 
as a community, you have been forced to fight these one case at a time. In some instances, one province at a time. How many lawyers do you have to hire? How many challenges do you have to mount? And how many times do you have to resort to arguing these issues before our human rights tribunals and our courts before you can finally finally feel that here in Canada, you don't have to choose between conforming and your faith? And that statement is why we remember David Kilgore as a friend of the Sikh community. It's so beautiful. I think in a world where we are gaslit constantly and we get so much pushback from politicians saying your pain isn't real, your pain didn't happen, your genocide didn't happen, your struggles don't happen, you don't face anything. It's so validating to hear from someone in a position of power that they see us and that it did happen. I think it to one person in a system that's trying to keep you down who can see your truth can make you feel sane. Um, It's a loss to the community. He did good with his life and he moved things in a better direction. And so our condolences to his family, our thanks to them and to him. And hopefully everyone is finding a way to celebrate his life and his legacy. I know we're grateful and we did share publicly that we're we're sad about the loss and we're grateful for everything he did for us. And that is, I think, a really strong note to leave on. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. Uh, as always, if you like what you heard or you like any of the work we're doing speaks to you, please consider making a donation. World Sick Organization is entirely community funded. We are up against giants. We are up against the government of Quebec fighting a legal challenge. And we are, everything comes from the sun good. So please uh, go to World Sick Org, check out our this one. Um, you can donate monthly, become a this one donor, or just a one time donation. Please follow us on every social media platform. We're on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn. We're at World Sick Org everywhere. And until we meet again next month, uh, stay safe. Enjoy wrapping up your Sikh Heritage Month. And I hope for the Sangat out in Alberta who's still celebrating Nagarkitans to come. I hope you have safe Nagarkitans. We'll meet again soon. Wahigurji ka kalsa. Wahigurji ki fateh.